Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And our topic for today is, should CIOs be futurists? And our guests for today's show are Clara uh, Jolinkova, and uh, she's the Vice President for International Operations and IT and Chief Information Officer with Rise University. Hey, Clara, how are you? Great, how are you? Very good. Life is beautiful. God is kind, and I'm enjoying uh, this show, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. And we also have uh, Thomas Kill, who's the provost and CIO with the University of Dayton. Hey, Tom, how are you? Great to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to have both of you here. Um, Now, the reason we wanted to talk about this topic, frankly, because CIOs are synonymous to be seen as leaders. And when people think about leader, they think they will have to have a future vision and something that they will paint and be like the Pied Piper everybody's supposed to follow. Great, very important, and yes, it has its place. Now, the reason we wanted to specifically talk about the futuristic approach of thinking is Is that what we are going to keep top of our mind when we have some technical debt, we have some maintenance, we have some keeping the lights on effort going on, and we have lately, because of digital, so much transformation effort going on. Can we get our eyes above water and and think about future? Would it dissipate our energy? Would it dilute our focus? It's a contrarian view, but we wish we should discuss, and that's why we are covering this topic. So that said, Clara, the first question I have for you is, uh, or rather, let's set the stage. Leaders, which is CIOs here, are expected to have a clear vision, totally understandable. And they are also expected to keep the lights on, to keep the business humming, which is leveraging IT to the best possible manner. What do you think is today's state of affairs? Are your uh, efforts leading, leaning more towards making sure at least the lights are on and then we are going to look at whatever new innovation and futuristic thinking? And, 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 and whatever the current state is, whatever you're juggling, where are your challenges? You know, so I think what is really important uh, for CIOs is to um, give ourselves mental space to actually think about the future. And I think anytime you are a leader, time is actually your most valuable asset, right? So thinking about how you're spending your time becomes very important, and it's very easy for a CIO to get caught in this very reactive mode, right? Every time there's a crisis, emergency, somebody needs something, somebody needs something. And what that really does, it robs you uh, of the ability to have vision, to spend time thinking, bringing people together that challenge you uh, and challenge your, th- your thinking and bringing thought partners. And so I think what CIOs need to do, and, you know, that's the challenge, is how do you give yourself, if you will, the permission and the mental space 
to connect with other leaders across the institution that can be thought partners to you in helping to envision the future and then working internally with your team as to what IT needs to deliver. And sometimes it is your business partners or your technology partners that can uh, actually deliver some components of the future. It's not just your internal team. So I think some of it is us as CIOs elevating ourselves, elevating our thinking and spending time on strategic planning and strategic thinking and thinking about possibilities for the future, right? Because when you're thinking about futurists, it's not about tactical predictions of I'm going to use, you know, Google or Office 365. It is really about thinking um, about how some, you know, trend like, enabling the end user, for example, what does that mean for me and what are the possibilities in that future so you can kind of inoculate yourself um, against the future and against potential threats in the future. So let me pause there. I think that was a lot. So, uh, uh, so if, you know, just let me pause there. All right. So, Tom, would you want to build on it? The reason I would, I, I'd like to uh, pick up on one of the things that Clara said is giving the CIOs to give themselves permission, which almost yeah. could mean as if it is, uh, we are trying to justify or validate our existence by keeping the lights on and, and thinking strategically is uh, a nice to have. If that's yeah, think, because, we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I think Claire was, was right on target. And I one of the things that, that's, the struggle, I think, for all CIOs is we're expected to do both things really well. But I also know that if we don't keep the lights on and run smoothly, no one's interested in our vision for the future because the problems would be so great. So we always have that kind of in front of us tension. But I also think that a lot of the challenges that we have that are day-to-day are kind of a vision into the future a bit because it tells us where those challenges are. Those are the things where the where the next the next opportunity for innovation and change and, and, uh, and perhaps even that, that disruptive technology to, to come into play. I think about that in terms of we have a lot of deferred maintenance challenges, we have staffing challenges, we have rising software costs, you know, security is, is on our minds constantly. And in many ways, we, could, we as CIOs could spend every waking hour just dealing with the day-to-day problem there. But I think that, I think Claire was right. You've got to release yourself from the day-to-day stuff and trust people around you to do that work while you take and you look a little bit higher on that horizon and figure out where are those opportunities. And, and, I, and I try to do my work in the context of mission. You know, we, we have a, you know, a pretty clear mission as a university. We have a, we have a set of, of, of visionary uh, directions that we want to move in. And so I'm really taking cues there saying, okay, this is where the university says it wants to go as an institution. Now I need to be sure that I'm looking at what are those innovative technologies and services and opportunities that I need to align with that. Let me build on, a, on, on this point a little bit more, because in some ways, the current, the things that you're observing um, 
actually can become part of what I would call your sensing network, right? Uh, I don't know what is the famous quote, uh, the future is already with us, just not distributed evenly, right? So <laughs> I, that's, and, and I think that that really speaks to um, the point that was just made, which is you can see kind of early warning signals, if you will, of, of a change of an infliction point, right? And having this sensing network and paying attention to it and seeing, hey, I'm seeing something in here that seems like right now a problem but could be actually a trend in the future is an important aspect of this. So I agree the this kind of sensing is, is really important. So both of you did mention the importance of taking the time and, of course, thinking, but also explicitly said that it is a struggle to get your head above water with so much going on. So did we as leaders, and I'm counting, I'm using the word we because I'm referring to the community, is the CIO community perhaps saying yes to too many things? That's why they are not able to find the breathing room or they are struggling to make a business case because enough trust is not developing in the business for you to say, okay, I need a little more than what I have so that there is some breathing room for me to be able to think future, for me to be able to help you with relevance, Mr. Business. Where are we struggling, Clara? So so um, let me just kind of kick off here, and and, and hopefully it's going to resonate. You know, one of the big issues that we have in technology is the fight for talent, right? So in some ways... um, the the issue is that the skill sets that need to be that are evolving in IT are evolving by far faster than in other disciplines right so in some ways IT leadership is changing very very quickly we are um, moving more and more um, uh, closely to alignment with the business. You know, it's impossible to be CIO today and not know how finance, HR, teaching and learning works because you're translating the business processes into the technology, right? And I think one of the issues is we do have a talent pipeline problem, right? There, you know, you, you look, especially uh, in security and other areas, there's uh, uh, there are more jobs than there are people, right? And so I think there is a, a, a bit of a pipeline issue that we are struggling with, and how do we develop new leaders in the field that really can engage in this high-level level strategic thinking and be thought partners to the business? Because when we hire people, we hire them by far more for tactical work, and then, you know, it's really the role of the CIOs to develop the team and move the team up. So that, that, that's you know, one of the issues that we are dealing with here, I think. I'll tell you, I've, I've found that, that our, our alignment with our university leadership for the CIO role is such a critical piece there because, you know, the, the talent issue many times is one around not having sufficient resources to attract or retain the right people. But it's also making sure that our senior leadership in, in higher ed understands that that IT is not just a utility, but it, in fact, has to be a strategic partner. Uh, and and I've, my view is, is that if we're only a utility, then just go out and outsource yourself to the lowest bidder. And so every day I remind our folks that the, the value we bring to this is that bringing those innovative solutions, understanding our, our 
our campus needs and the and the various uh, areas of campus, whether it's academic or research or teaching, learning, administration, all those areas have have different interests and needs, and and they're all asking for more than we can possibly deliver in any kind of a timeline. But then I look to leadership to help us set those priorities and identify you know the pathway that we're going to use so that we don't disappoint too many people in the process. So, Tom, based on your response, are, are these people not getting it or their definition of what they want changes? Why is there a constant tug of war? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, you know, I think it is because folks within our operations, within the entire university operations, are looking around at, at our competitors. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, higher ed is becoming an incredibly competitive landscape as a business. Uh, and they're seeing what other places are doing to e- either attract funding, attract students, to, to build reputation. And so they always want that next neat, new, shiny thing. And, and unfortunately for a lot of our campus users, they think that by buying a system, they somehow have bought a solution. And so a lot of our work is really in helping them understand that the, the system itself is, is the first step towards having a truly functional solution. Uh, but, but, yeah, there is a bit there where people desire much more than what we can possibly deliver in a timeline. But, you know, I, I don't think this is that unusual. Uh, I think people, you know, the, the, people have always been asking for more than they probably could handle. And part of the leadership role there is to help them understand how to leverage what we have, how to look towards the really uh, great opportunities in, in a potentially disruptive technology that's going to, elevate your institution to some kind of a leadership role. Those are the areas where, you know, where I try to be very, very attentive to what is on that horizon that we ought to be chasing after much more aggressively and then how to manage expectations in the other areas. And just one more point to add to what Tom just said. Um, you know, the other issue is that there, we are increasingly making business cases that are by far harder to explain. So one of the key issues is integration and data, right? And those are more difficult concepts. concepts to actually explain. So in order for us to be able to do postmodern ERP, we need a very strong integration framework and integration technologies, right? We need security technologies. We need data management, data lifecycle technologies. And these are cases that are harder to make than just, you know, buying a widget to do one thing, right? So I'm just, you know, there's a complexity also, and I think that's where being a futurist and being, having the the thinking time to make that case is really important for CIOs because otherwise you can really get yourself into a situation where you have 150 applications and no integration, and that's a bad place to be. You know, that's, a, that's a great observation. In fact, you just identified uh, three of the four things on my list of what, what's my future look like, and we have, we have this focus on data visualization, data analytics, cybersecurity, and then our fourth item is autonomous systems, and that's more, more of a research area. But all those are things that are being driven by our academic side, which is, you know, our core business. We're, we're here about attracting, attracting students and graduating them, conducting, you know, research that's of, of value to the, to the community. So the, these kinds of activities are things that, as a CIO, you know, I have to constantly be paying attention to, in addition to always making sure that we run the ERP system and that that's, that's providing all we need to be able to function effectively. But I try to separate the, the innovation from the effectiveness a little bit because in the innovation areas, I, I assume we're going to take some risks there. And with 
some of our core administrative systems, I'm a little bit less likely to, to, to take a risk there because I don't see the payout uh, as much as in other areas. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And I'd like to set the stage for what's going to be discussed immediately after the break. Um, so I'm going to refer to a recent, in fact, last night I had a conversation, facilitated a session with some customer service leaders in the room. And there were some technology people in the room. So there was a discussion how you can take customer service to the next level. How can you make it futuristic? So there were some technology people who said you got to have a 360 view of the customer and you got to have data and there should be integration of data silos, etc. And that is a challenge. And this is what we want the money for. And there was a response from the customer service leader. He says, I don't understand that mumbo jumbo. I need to understand how are you going to get my customer vowed and or enable my service rep to be able to understand what, what they know about that customer so that they can serve them well? So is there a difference between the language we are speaking? Um, of course, among each other, we would speak in IT language, whatever we have to. But are we trying to make a business case in a business language, or are we still continuing in technical language and does the struggle? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Tom, the situation, or rather scenario I painted, which is actually a scenario in many companies where business is saying, show me the value in terms or in context of what I am talking about, and the the IT leadership or the IT community goes to them with data or application or systems lingo. So that's like Greek and Latin or they might be deer in headlights. How do you think the case is going to ever be made 
in their eyes and how will we ever get the funding? So is there something we can do better in this regard? Oh, so you get the funding, you get the breathing room, and then yeah. you can be yeah. the futurist if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you're you're on target. I think that one of our one of our biggest challenges is to get away from the IT jargon and get and get into talking about business solutions in a way that that our our customer base, our user base, is able to respond nicely. And I, I give you an example. You know, we I have our our enrollment management people and our advancement people. So you got our our people who recruit students who are our salespeople, and we have our people who who raise money who are the who are looking at the donor folks. They, they keep describing to me that what they want is a system that allows them to have, have a, a view of all of our, our, our connected constituents. And they like to see that view in a very integrated way from almost from birth to death. And, and as they describe this to me, my response to them is, uh, is, is that, well, basically what you want is the academic version of Amazon, and, you know, which, is, which is a highly integrated database system, but it also has a huge customer relationship management interface. And then I, I proceed to kind of talk about a bit about how we could get there. And, and one of the things that, that I'm trying to do behind the scenes on that is to, is to establish pla- a platform that would allow me to roll those things out. And, and these, these exist out there. Amazon has it. Rackspace has it. You know, Salesforce has it. And these, if, if I can build that platform in the background, I can then pull in lots of applications that I can de- deploy relatively quickly. And that way, there I can begin to meet their 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 basic needs around uh, around their customer service and their constituent support. And so, so there's a there's a possibility to do this. It's it and it is clearly it is a very rich database driven. It's very rich customer relationship management system. But we need to not uh, burden our our users with all the technical pieces on that. We need to kind of keep that a little bit. Uh, in the background while we present to them solutions that they can actually uh, work with. So, Clara, the, the intents? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, allow me to be a bit contrarian here, and I think this is there's a core struggle that CIOs have, which is who is the customer? And hear me out here. Is the customer the actual donor, or is the customer the, the people in the advancement office? Is the customer the actual students or a student, or is the registrar's office? And I think one of the things that we need to decide as CIOs is, are we speaking for the customer, which would be the end customer, that would be the student, the donor, etc. Or are we trying to be mediated, right? And, you know, there are risks in both, right? Because one of the risks, if you are not mediated and you speak to the end customers, and you see it a lot actually in private industry, where you have increasingly CIOs actually looking at the experience, not necessarily from the business unit perspective, but from the actual end user perspective. And one of the things we have done here is, mapping student experience with actual students and you know then you start having this rich conversation around why exactly are we doing something this way right so the business units have embedded cultures and technology allows you potentially if you are brave enough to blow through that right so i'm just i'm saying there's a you have to decide who is the end customer in these discussions when you become more customer centric just a contrarian point of view here <laughs> I don't know if that's contrary, and I think that, uh, you know, an interesting opportunity that I have is that I'm working with a lot of newer, younger vice presidents now. We had a big shift, and they come in with this idea that they're going to change everything anyway. And so <clears throat> the goal there is that, you know, I need to make sure that I have a good sense for what 
our true customers are, students and constituents and so forth. And one of the advantages I have is I, I, I'm, a, I'm a faculty member first. I was, I, was a, I was a department chair back in the 90s who did a lot of complaining about IT, and then I ended up getting pulled into the role as the CIO. And so I, I still kind of have a good sense for what, we're, what we need to be doing to serve, the, serve our true customers. And, and it gives me a little bit more credibility when I talk with the business units about maybe their idea isn't quite the right way to go on that. We ought to think a little bit differently. But I'm also impressed with the, the extent to which our, our new leadership comes in with a lot of readiness to change things. Now, the, the struggle from an IT side is I got four new vice presidents, all who want brand new systems that are going to solve the problems of the world. And that's where I have to you know, work very carefully with our senior most leadership, our president, our CFO, to make sure that, that we are orchestrating that behavior in a way that we can manage and, and deliver real success with. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that the more all of us are aware of, of, the, of the true you know, customer that we're serving, the probably the better off we'll be. And Clara, doesn't it mean that based on the context, we will choose whether we're talking about internal customer and external? That's number one question to, for you to confirm. Second, don't people say that if you put your employees first and customers second, your customer will be much better served? Yeah, so, the, you know, both of these statements are true, right? Uh, and that's why I said there's a, so, so just kind of hear me out. Um, the, the issue is putting employees first does not mean that you're going to um, let people make bad decisions, right? Putting employees first means that you're going to paint a picture of the future and let them see themselves in that future, right? And that may mean and increasingly means in back office operations, surviving automation. So that's one of the bad words that we haven't said here, right? But we, if you look at financial industry and, and, and other industries, there is more and more automation where there are jobs that are disappearing, right? And AI is going to play a major role in this in the next few years. And I think that's a, another kind of a leadership opportunity and futurist opportunity for the CIOs is putting the, to me, putting employees first means getting them ready for the future. It does not necessarily mean... Kind of letting them uh, keep uh, doing things the way they have been, and kind of you know uh, putting them on a path of obsolescence. Yeah, Claire, I think you're I think you're on on target there. One, of, I think one of the things that I've discovered, I've been doing this IT thing since the mid '90s, um, is that early on, IT staff were not really invited into the conversation to see the big picture. And so they typically responded to all the work being requested of them in a kind of a, a work order mindset, one at a time kind of a task. And now what I'm finding is that the more successful IT operations have really brought a communication mindset to the table. And not only are we strengthening the way we communicate with all our constituents, but we're also strengthening how we communicate among our IT teams so that they're really aware of the bigger picture, so that they're able to kind of bring that creativity to the solutions where in the past it was pr pretty much they were given a, a request to deliver X and deliver it by the state. Now there's a larger conversation, and I think that helps build in a lot of, of uh, uh, devoted support 
and and uh, and a huge stake in the outcome of the of the larger uh, goals that we have. So so I think that's that's a new piece now that really helps us uh, sustain ourselves. The reason I wanted to further ask this question and maybe then we can uh, discuss it further is that we, we spoke about future, right? And and future has a certain flavor today, mm-hmm. but that flavor is also changing very rapidly. If you look in the last five years, we had that shift. So what do you do with respect to you putting a crystal ball and tell to the business, this is what's going to happen, but can you claim what you're going to think about and then correspondingly get investments from business? It's going to really hold the test of time. And will that prediction come true? And will you not lose your shirt in the process? Given the volatility, the ambiguity, yeah. the uncertainty that we have today. Yeah. You know, I, let me, I let think me just, that... Uh, yeah, oh, go ahead, go Claire. Ahead. Go ahead. No, go, no, you go ahead. You go ahead, Tom. Okay. Well, what I was going to say is that, that part, of, uh, part of what I look at the, the risk of kind of predicting the future is, is that you know, you're, you're typically not going to hit it pretty, at, pretty much on the technology, but you may hit it on the functionality that you're seeking to get out of there. And so when, whenever I'm looking at a risky, futuristic focused direction to go in, the, 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 the more likely that that risk is great and the cost is great, the more I will look to make sure that what I'm trying to do here really aligns well with the, with the values and the mission of the university, and it gets after you know, the, 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 the larger vision that the university has shared. And, and that way you can kind of you know, push a, um, a high-risk agenda with, without having to, to overly worry about what happens if it doesn't work out because you're always in alignment with where the institution wanted to go. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, that was you know, one of the things that we did back in the, in the mid-90s when I first came into IT is you know, our university has a very robust uh, residential housing uh, um, situation where we own 400 single-family homes that surround our campus. And in, in 1997, we went ahead and, and connected all those homes to a fiber optic network. And by 1999, we were delivering 100 megabit connectivity in an era when everybody was still on dial-up. And that project was viewed by some folks as high risk and it's going to sink the university. But at the end of the day, one of the strategies the university wanted to do was to really distinguish ourselves as being very innovative in in the technology areas and that we were supporting our students being well-connected for their career development. And so our enrollment management people ran with that. And we saw um, two things happen. One is we saw a nice jump in our enrollment as a result of that, that push. And the other thing we saw was that we began being seen by our peers as, as a much more innovative institution. And that, that kind of put us in a different position out there. So it was a high risk. It was a very expensive project. Um, you know, I, I tell people that this was what Google pitched uh, back in 2012. Our project was 14 years ahead of them. And so we must have been the, uh, the, the uh, pilot for what they were trying to figure out. But it, was, uh, it worked out great for us. And to this day, it still is a major uh, uh, benefit that the universities love having. And they have houses with fiber optic connectivity, which is not unusual today. But back in 1997, it was pretty strange. I was just going to say, just add on to this, um, that 
really you're talking about CIO as a thought partner to the business. So you're not necessarily pushing a specific agenda or you don't have to. You're saying these are the big trends that are being seen in the industry. And I think it's super helpful to look at other industries, not just be stuck, let's say, in higher education or financial industry, but looking at what other CIOs are doing and then talking to the business about what would that mean? Because I go back to the point, you're trying to inoculate yourself against an adverse effect of the future, right? So you're having a conversation about what risk you're trying to take. And this is a very much a risk-based discussion, right? Is, you know, do we, you know, do we invest in AI tools early on to, you know, automate certain aspects of our business? Or do we wait, have clerical staff on, you know, for a little bit longer and then eventually may not be able to make that change, you know, very quickly, right? Because we are over-invested in staffing, under-invested in technology. Now, that's not the position that Rice is in, obviously, but, you know, because we are, we actually have a number of projects that are leading, you know, around open stacks and, and, you know, free textbooks and, you know, AI for education. But it, it's a it's a risk based discussion that you need to be ready to have with the business, and it's a it's not a risk in the kind of a cybersecurity risk. It's a business risk, and that's the mm-hmm. conversation that the CIOs need to be able to have. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll be right back, and then let's also explore which specific areas which be more will be most promising to even think if we are thinking futuristic. Because there are so many aspects we can think about. Something which comes in front of us is is what we should tackle. Or are there certain low-hanging fruits which are not kind of quote-unquote risks, but they look like a logical sets of predictions that we can make or, or uh, take some step towards. So is there a way to even rationalize and prioritize our future thinking given the times we are living in today? Let's explore it. When we come back, please stay tuned. And uh, Tom, this will be for you. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. 
You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Tom, when we are looking at so many things which are looking cool and, and shiny, what would be a good pragmatic way so that we go after a limited set of areas in which if you were to play futuristic, it will be not pie in the sky. It will be more pragmatic. So you can share what you are doing in your organization, but also how, how any CIO, if was to rationalize or prioritize, which areas should they focus on? What would be that formula? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the great advantages of being in higher ed is, as a CIO is that we really have, we have two distinctive areas that we focus on. One is the, is the delivery of the standard services through our administrative and ERP systems and so forth. But the other side where, where the future really plays out is when we look at supporting our academic mission. And, and that's the place where I spend a lot of time connecting and talking with, with the academic leaders in that area because that's where we're seeing opportunities to really begin to try to pilot the new kind of cutting edge, a little bit risky things. You know, we're doing a, there's, a, there's an enormous demand right now to graduate students that have, a, that have a great deal of awareness around data analytics. But more importantly, um, industry is demanding a greater capability around data visualization. And so one of the investments that we're looking at doing, and we've been doing this, is we're investing in some really high-end data visualization capabilities. And that's both in terms of the tools as well as in terms of the environments that we're building. And, the, and these, are, these are being piloted. And, of course, I can tell you the risk you face there is we're, we build out, we built a couple of these environments, and, of course, now everybody wants them everywhere on campus, and the cost is pretty prohibitive right now. You know, the, we, we finished a... a, a facility last summer, and the, the hardware software just for the display system was over $200,000. But, it, but it's a relatively new area. It's something called ThinkHub. And, and we found this to be really a, a, a great catalyst because when we build an environment where faculty can be challenged to figure out how to truly leverage those systems around a topic like data visualization, they, they really come in droves wanting to play with it and figure out how they could leverage it. Now, this isn't every faculty member. This isn't every program. But what we're finding is that that's one area where there's a lot of, of uh, cross-pollination going on. It's the, the social sciences are rethinking the whole idea of data analytics uh, from, the, from the world of old you know, methods and, and statistics. Uh, so, so I'd say that um, the academic uh, core is where I look to as a place for to really test the next you know, generation of opportunities in, in IT. So, Clara, when you are looking at the pragmatism of the vision, do you think you should be be kind of leaving it open ended, or do you, should you cage your thinking when thinking future? Yeah, you know, I think you know, I think this is a you know, looking at this dual uh you know, kind of mission um of the university, um I I think um it's it's really it's kind of helpful to think about kind of two different things, right? One of them is kind of what are the systems of record and the core back end business processes. Right, um, and that's where I think uh, if you look at uh, private industry, let's say financial industry, you're going to see um, 
automation. I mean, you're seeing this already, right? Um, especially around analytical tools. Uh, but I'm not talking about um, research analytics. I'm really talking about and you know analyzing your spend, etc. So I think one of the bets that we are looking at, you know, very strongly is how do we drive the cost of education down by automating some of the things that we do, right? And and really thinking about how how do we not just become more efficient with the people we have, but how can we simplify these processes and drive the cost, the if you will, the administrative overhead down. And I think that's very important for universities to take seriously. Um, so I think that's a that's one place where you can have innovation and the CIOs can lead by engaging with the business and saying, if we simplify this process, if we remove these steps, is there an opportunity for savings, right? So that's, that's one area. The other area is kind of the systems of innovation and systems of differentiation, which is where the academic side comes in. And I think that's where you want to engage with faculty and try different things, but you're not necessarily looking at optimizing for cost, you're optimizing for experience, which is a a different set of issues where you're asking, what is the best way to teach this topic to students? How do you then have analytics on the back end looking at, um, you know, are are you having the same results? We run this great experiment at Rice, and Rice is, you know, one of the top 20 universities in the United States is a private institution, highly, highly selective, highly, highly competitive. But um, what we were trying to figure out is what does it mean for us to actually on, uh, offer concurrently online courses and in-person courses, and what is the difference in the student experience? So we developed, actually, with the faculty a tool uh, that allowed students to have an an analog of a rice in-person experience online. And, you know, the students are still residential, but this was a way for us to deal actually with a facilities problem because we, uh, had, a, we had a number of classes that are, that are so popular and the faculty members are so popular that they're oversubscribed. So it was a way of dealing with oversubscribed classes. And then taking a measurement at the end and finding out that the outcomes of the students when they were doing it in small groups of three with the faculty member popping in digitally, right, or in small groups of three within a physical classrooms, there was basically no difference in the educational outcome. So, But the, to me, that's an innovation that worked for that one class may not necessarily work, which was computer science, may not necessarily work the same way, and the tools would be very different if you tried to do that in something like a writing class. But to me, that's, that's a different kind of futuristic thinking than the thinking about about, you know, how do you actually drive the cost out of back office operations, which is also important to do. Yeah, I'd say, so, that, you know, very, very similarly there, we, you know, we're, we have, we have four pillars of, of focus for our IT operations. And first, at the top of that list is supporting academic innovation, which is really key to the long-term success of any institution in higher ed space. But then we also have, have called out information security because there's no question that's one of the big areas. Then the, then the last two, which are ongoing, which are the ones that Claire just mentioned, is institutional productivity and operational efficiency. Those kind of underlie a lot of innovation. Maybe not as much what I consider to be a, a disruptive innovation, but certainly it's a form of innovation that leads us to better stewarding resources so we can focus some of those resources on some of the, some of the more aggressive 
uh, innovative uh, technologies that, that go back to our educational and research mission. So, with, with uh, what we have just discussed, if I were to further ask about the future readiness, this is also an interesting term. A uh, lot of companies are using, a lot of leaders are using, or in fact, some people say that this is an implied expectation of business that all our systems and apps and processes and everything else should be future ready, which means we would have a clear idea about the future and then we would be able to create placeholders or accommodate certain things which will allow us to very quickly pivot or shift or tweak whatever we are running as our platforms and applications and systems to take care of whatever happens in the future. Clara, is this a pipe dream? Is this unreal or can this be actually achieved? Yeah, so let me just tell you that my definition of future readiness is actually the latter description that you used. So for me, the idea that you will know with certainty future five, ten years from now is absolutely a pipe dream. You know, so this idea that you're going to say this is what the future is going to look like and you are then going to put in set of steps to get there, you know, that kind of reminds me of you know, five-year planning of communist regimes, right? And so, you know, that, that, and that's kind of pretty dicey, right? So I think what you're, when you're talking about future readiness, to me that means imagining the possibilities and making sure that you have the flexibility and the ability to pivot quickly. So that really does mean bringing more, you know, flexibility into your business. That means investing in, Integration tools, for example. So we made a big investment in integration and, and streamlining integration so we can very easily change systems, right? So we really focused in the, within the technology organization on what would it take to be able to have a layer, integration layer that allows us to change the systems of record re- relatively quickly. And then how do we have, a, you know, data warehouse business intelligence uh, capabilities that allow us on the back and analyze data as the ch- systems might potentially change, right? So what, you know, what is our kind of data structure? So, you know, that's, a, that's an example of how you can make yourself more flexible because I think the idea that you will be able to predict future five to ten years from now is, you know, it, I just don't think that's a realistic expectation. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Claire is right on target. the 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 idea of institutional agility to me is much more compelling of being able to respond to opportunities in the future than simply me having to think that I can predict what that future looks like. Pretty much all the all the analysis that we do that looks at those who predict the future, for most times they look pretty silly when the future gets here. And and even the smartest folks, I think Bill Gates started off by by making the statement that 64K is all the RAM you'll ever need. But, but, but the, the thing that I, I like about some of the future predictions is that while we don't know the form a lot of things will take, we can kind of predict what kinds of functions we want to have happen. We want greater, greater access to rich data to support decisions in a timely way. There's a function there that, I can, that, that we can kind of predict. The form is yet to take shape. You know, we, we have lots of people working in, the, in that big data field and, and creating these data lakes to try to answer that. But, but I, I'm more likely to try to saying what, what, what form 
uh, uh, we're not so interested in, but what function, I'm very interested in that. So when looking into the future, should we race with ourselves or race with others who may be still going after the same customers, may have their own uh, profit and market share interests, what would serve us well as CIOs? Clara. Um, so, you know, I think you need to be always aware of the ambient ecosystem that you are in, right? And remember that when you're talking about regulated industries such as education or healthcare, it is not just kind of yourself versus the others in the, in the pool, but you're also looking at what is the emerging regulation, et cetera, that might affect you and how you are thinking about that emerging regulation, right? So I think it is, I, I really think you need to develop you know, what I would call a sensing network that is that you're cognizant of, you know, what are your innate challenges and capabilities that you bring to the table and potential gaps? What are your competitors doing? And then what is the ambient ecosystem that you're working in, right? What are the customers saying? You know, are what is the government saying? You know, what what does this mean for you? And getting some sort of a kind of a, I would, again, sensing network, right, um, of what uh, what does that mean for you. So I think, I think the more points you have, the better off you are. So, Tom, if you were to look at this approach and the, the question that I asked about competing, should you always look, yourself, look at yourself in reference to where your competition and then feel good that you are ahead of them? But is it that not holding you back from what you could otherwise accomplish? You know, uh, a good con- that, that's, a, that's a good question because I think of that, that certainly we are always looking at our competitive uh, set to, to make sure that we can continue to be successful in attracting the, the students and the resources we need for, as, a, as a university. But I also like for us to we look, at, look beyond what, what's happening in higher ed and looking at what other industries are doing and what are the opportunities for us to reinterpret those to give us potentially uh, a market-disrupting edge. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, m- most of the, uh, the really successful organizations out there didn't just compete head-to-head against their competition. They figured out some kind of disruptive way of redoing something very differently that, that, led, that allowed them to move into the lead. And in many ways, higher ed is, is getting that way. You know, at, at one point in time, everybody had been predicting that the MOOCs would be the next thing that would change all of higher ed. And um, I'm, not, I'm not hearing a lot about MOOCs these days, but I have seen a lot of institutions that have become very sophisticated at the way that they're doing learning both as a hybrid and as distance. And that's a form of innovation that some, some schools are, are quite successful at, and others are a little bit late to the game. So, so overall, I think that uh, we have a responsibility to kind of work it on both levels. We need, to, we need to look at our competition and attempt to compete very effectively. We need to look at our own mission and decide where do we really want to go as an institution and not lose sight of that, even if the competition looks like it's doing something different. And then ultimately, we need to look at external industries as, as uh, ideas and suggestions of what that future might hold. So, Clara, when you look into the future, do you look as blue ocean or incremental? 
I'm trying to figure out what blue ocean means. I mean, doesn't mean do I look at the <laughs> blue ocean and, 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 and everything is open. Everything uh, uh, is open. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You you interpreted it right. Is because then you could have disruptive innovation possibilities versus saying I'm going to incrementally take safer incremental steps based on what is there today. Well, How much do you remember, allow yourself? Do you allow yourself the blue ocean thinking? Oh, totally. Or stay? Yeah. yeah, totally. You absolutely have to, right? Because, but the question is, you cannot do one necessarily at the expense of the other, right? So just, you know, we are back to the conversation that we started with, which is you need to have both a long-term vision and a short-term planning horizon, right? And so this is, you need to be kind of working at a, at a time scale, you know, and, and different levels of concreteness of, you know, what we are trying to do in the next six months, let's say, is going to be by necessity slightly more incremental than when you are engaging in a conversation about a plan five years from now, ten years from now. And that's where universities usually have strategic planning. You know, Rice has just released a strategic plan, you know, last year. And in the strategic plan, there's a vision for our future. And our future, for example, is deeply tied to the city of Houston and how we are going to work with Houston fourth largest city in the United States, soon to be the third, in becoming an innovation hub, right? So, you know, you, you kind of have to be looking at um, the, the blue ocean, if you will, but you also cannot forget about what is going on today. Tom, if you were to look at this, what would you say, in all honesty, your approach yeah. to looking ahead yeah. in future? Well, I- I'll tell you, I think that, you know, CIOs are, are, are tend to live in a very pragmatic world because the pressure to deliver on a daily basis is there. But I think that we do that at great risk because if we're not, if we're not setting our sights to look beyond where we're at, we're, we will, first of all, burn out, first of all. And secondly, we won't be viewed as a strategic partner. So I think that a lot of the, a lot of the work that CIOs need to do is they need to bring a, kind of a strategic uh, focus to the to some of these new opportunities that sit out there, and you need to really be able to tell a great story about what those opportunities might present for us and how they would change us. And I think that's where a lot of times I'm trying to determine what are those opportunities because you have people every day that are going to offer you the latest and the greatest and something new, and we certainly want to choose some very selectively choose certain cutting edge opportunities to pursue. But you want to make sure it aligns really well. And that's why I like that what Claire says, you know, Rice's connection to the city of Houston is not unlike the University of Dayton's connection to our city. We're certainly a, we're a number 53 size city. We're not a number three. But we have a lot of stake in the success of our, of our area and the, our ability to innovate. I think it was, it was it uh, Senator Pat Moynihan said that if you want to, if you want to build a great city, uh, build a, you know, build a university and wait a hundred years, you know, and, and that way there you'll have a great city. And I think in many ways that, that, that says a lot about universities bring innovation and they bring change and they bring that intellectual curiosity to a region that will transform it. And that, I think that for a lot of universities is where the future is putting us. We're looking at what is that regional opportunity that will help us make a national reputation. 
Thank you on behalf of the show. Thank you once again, Clara and Tom, for sharing your thoughts and insights about how leaders can balance what they need to get done today and also use future thinking to support the business the best you can. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you for having us. And listeners, hope you enjoyed it. Please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And please uh, listen to our podcast. We are available on all possible syndication platforms. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog, all your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.